0: Well, this Sunday, we're going to be starting in in just a few minutes a new sermon series where we're going to be looking at what the church is. I don't know if you would have an answer to the question, what is the church? Just think about that for a moment. How would you answer that question, what is the church? The last two years have, I think, for for all of us, been really challenging. And that is true of the church as well, isn't it? It has really challenged who we are as church. Not just our church, not just the church in Lim, but the church across the UK and a church in the wider world. Can you remember two years ago, early 2019, we had no idea what was about to happen. There were some news things going on saying there was this virus sort of that was passing around, but we didn't know what would come. Within a few weeks, we had gone solely online. Churches were closed for the first time since the reign of King John. I don't think any of us can quite remember that long ago. And since then, we've met in a variety of ways. We've become hybrid in how we meet. There are many this morning who will be joining us online, and it's great that we can do that. We've met in person in different ways. We've met on Zoom. But we're still church. We are still called to be a faithful people. So as the dust settles, and we hope it will really start to settle in 2022, What does it mean to be church in the world in which we're going to be living in? How can the biblical models of church and the the examples that we find in Scripture help us to understand what church is all about? When we read the New Testament, what we find is that the New Testament writers use a whole range of different metaphors to talk about the church. Can you think of any at the moment? Just shout them out if you can think of any. The church is the body of Christ, perhaps the most famous of all. Any others? The bride of Christ. Come on, there's quite a few more. The church is redeemed. Any others? A holy people. people. A A royal priesthood. Family. I'm nearly there at the end of my tick list here. There's a few more to go. We're also called a temple. We're called a house. And we could possibly even add to that a field, a vine, and an olive tree. Lots of different metaphors and images that are used to describe what the church is. And we are indeed the redeemed people of God, the forgiven people of God. We are bought at a price through Jesus's death on the cross. And yet, you ask the average person, you go around the streets in Lim, and I will probably try and do this actually over the next few weeks just to see if this is correct. If you say, what is the church? They will say, well, it's that building over there. It's that building over there, because the church, for the most part, is visible not by what we do, what we believe, or what we enact, but by the buildings that surround our towns and villages. And we talk, we don't make life easy for ourselves, because we talk about going to church. We've probably all said that this morning. I'm going to church this morning. We talk about church as a noun, a named place that we go to, a bit like, I'm going to Sainsbury's. And then we make matters even worse by talking about the church in the third person. I don't know if you've ever done this. I certainly have. The church should do, and then we go X, Y, Z, as if the church is an entity that exists separate to who we are. All the way through the New Testament, church is the all-in people of God. It's something we are together. It's about a verb, not a noun, if you like. A doing word. We do church. We are church together. It also doesn't help, to people looking in on us, that the church is divided into all these different sections. Anyone want to guess at how many denominations there were at the end of last year across the world? Whatever number you think of, it's going to be more. It's 45,000. 45,000 different denominations. Now, even in our local area, we don't quite have 45,000 of them represented, but there are a number of different denominations represented. We're not good at keeping unified. And so what do we have to say about this? What does the Bible say into this situation that we find ourselves in? How can we be confident as a church, as churches going into the world in which we live? Well, hopefully, over the next few weeks, as we look at different aspects of what it means to be church, we'll be unpacking some of those questions. We'll do it in church on a Sunday morning, and then we'll do it in our small groups as well, following on in the week. Well, we're going to um, start our series looking at the church by looking at what is really the first glimpse of the life of the early church. So if you've got a Bible with you, um, we're in Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to read from verses 42 down to verses 47. It's entitled, The Fellowship of the Believers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, Just hang on one minute. I need to do a bit of furniture removing. Thank you very much. Just means I am slightly more mobile. Well, Christmas is over, isn't it? I don't know how that makes you feel. The Christmas lights have all gone away. Epiphany has happened. The wise men have, wherever they've gone, they have gone. And everything has been put away, the carols have stopped being sung, but on the good news side, cream eggs are now available in the shops. Bear with me a minute, I'm going to talk about a Christmas carol for a moment. It's a Christmas carol that we don't sing in church, and there is a very obvious reason for that, is that it doesn't talk about the birth of Jesus, and it doesn't mention God at all. In fact, it's a bit of a moralistic story about a king of Bohemia in the 10th century. Anyone want to guess what the carol is? Good King Wenceslas. If you've been to Prague, you may have been to Wenceslas Square. You may have seen, if this is working, there we go. There is um, a statue dedicated to him. But just look at what it says in verse 5. In his master's steps he trod. And the image that this carol portrays is of good King Wenceslas walking through the deep snow, walking along, and he's so big and he's so strong that he creates great big holes in the snow, and his page walks behind him and puts his feet exactly where good King Wenceslas has walked. What a beautiful image to think of as we go into January. Now Acts chapter 2, Luke draws the curtain back on the life of of the earliest Christian community. And we get a glimpse to see what these first Christians were like, what their priorities were, what they did when they gathered together. If you know the book of Acts, um, chapter one in the book of Acts, Jesus ascends to heaven. The ascension takes place, then there is a very short period of waiting before the Holy Spirit descends in Acts chapter two. And then what happens is Peter stands up, he preaches the first sermon of the church, 3,000 people are saved. And at this point, Luke, the author of the book, sort of peels this curtain back and he says, well, this is what was going on in the days that followed. This is what the church looked like in, that, in those initial period of time, those first days of the Christian church. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, well, so what? What does this teach us today? How can this encourage us and inspire us about what the church is about? How can this earliest image of church encourage us today? It says in John 14 verse 12, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Now those are the words of Jesus. The words that Jesus spoke in John chapter 14. And they're words that are for us, aren't they? But they're words that were also for the earliest Christians. You will carry on doing the things that I am doing, and you will do even more than what I am doing. And we see that happening in the book of Acts. We see that Jesus' ministry just continues, but it also expands. Whereas Jesus' teaching and preaching was in quite a localized area. As the book of Acts unfolds, the teaching, that the gospel message starts to be taken right across the Roman world. And within a few decades, it's reached the edges of the empire. As Jesus did, so should we. As the master's steps follow, so we should tread in them and walk behind Jesus, doing the very things that Jesus did. As Jesus did, so should the church. We are the body of Christ, the embodiment of the ministry of Jesus until he returns again. Just think about that. We're the embodiment of the ministry of Jesus until he returns again. Empowered by the Spirit, equipped to carry on doing what he did. So let's dig into this passage for a few moments and see what this earliest church was like. Now this passage, I don't know when when I read it, it, it can be a little bit overwhelming It covers such a huge amount in such a a shortened reverses. So there is a risk whenever you preach on this passage that it's a bit like a pizza with too many toppings or a fruit salad with too many contents, that you can sort of taste something, but you can't really work out exactly what everything is about. I'm hoping that today won't be like that, but that we can actually take at least something that encourages us this morning and that we can actually learn little by little to walk more closely in the steps behind the master, the steps behind Jesus. So let's have a look at what they were doing in this earliest Christian community. Well, firstly, they were devoted to teaching. While Jesus was physically on earth, those first disciples, that first um, sort of group who gathered around him, had the amazing privilege, and just think what a privilege it was, to hear the Son of God teach, to hear Jesus preach sermons that changed the face of human history. To hear him tell stories that, you know, you can ponder on something like the prodigal son or the good Samaritan for a lifetime. And you still will not exhaust all the riches in these parables that Jesus taught. He spoke with authority, unlike the other teachers of the day. But he also spoke with great tenderness to people who were broken, people who were hurting, people who needed to be drawn back to God. He called people to repentance. He called people to leave lives of sin. He called people to love one another. As Jesus taught, so the apostles keep teaching and the church keeps learning. Those who had heard Jesus teach keep unpacking the message that Jesus had brought. And Peter at Pentecost has already preached his most amazing sermon, saying actually what you see happening is what the prophet Joel said would happen, that the Spirit would be poured out on all flesh, that um, that God would, would pour out his Spirit on all peoples. So as church today, as a collective church, as individuals, are we devoted to learning? Are we devoted to learning more about who Jesus is, to digging deep into God's word, to devotion? I love that word, devotion. You know, you can't be devoted to something and be half-hearted, can you? If you're devoted to anything, it means putting your all into it. It means actually this is priority. This is what we're about. Are we a people rooted deeply in God's word today? Chris was um, sharing just a few moments ago about the tour that is, is restarting this week. One thing that we've been really passionate about over the last year is, particularly while we've been in such sort of, difficult times, is let's not give up digging deep into God's word. You know, it's when we get into God's word, we are discipled. We, we continue to grow. It may be that um, you've drifted a little bit and off the tour and, you know, use this opportunity this week to get plugged back in to get reading again the scriptures, to get seeing what God has said. If we want to be a church that is called to be faithful, we need to be faithful to the word of God, to read it, but not just to read it, but to do what it says, to believe it, to come with anticipation and expectation that God will speak to us through his word. Second thing we find them doing is breaking bread. Now, in verse 42, when it first mentions this, our thoughts are probably drawn to, well, this means communion. But actually, the word that that Luke uses here, and then later on, I think it's in verse 46, is a word that can actually just mean the breaking of bread that was common at every Jewish meal. So although the early Christians probably did share communion together, this is a bit broader than that. It's about sharing food together and having fellowship in one another's homes. Just look what he talks about in verse 46 when he says, they met in each other's homes with glad and sincere hearts. Now for us, the last two years have been really difficult in terms of gathering together in this way in inviting people around to your house, in having fellowship meals, in having sort of meals together in church. And we, we've had to be really creative, and it's good that we're creative. You know, socially distance walks, meeting on Zoom, all these kind of things. And it may be that at the moment that is what is appropriate for us still at this time. But it has been encouraging, I think certainly for me, to see that we have just started taking those tentative steps back to sharing food, to sharing drinks together like our coffee mornings. and um, We had the Christmas meal on, on Christmas Day in here. We've had holiday at home. We've got friends and neighbors coming up. But underlying that is a very important principle that this early church followed. And it was this. If you want to grow as a Christian, if you want to follow in the master's steps, if you want to do the things that Jesus was doing, you can't do it on your own. You simply cannot do it on your own. Church is not a soloist enterprise, but it's an all-in activity. And as such you need one another you need fellowship however that fellowship exists whether that is a phone call whether it's on zoom whether it's having people around for a meal whatever it is that is where fellowship has to take place without it we are all weaker because of it we need one another just look around i know i sometimes say this but just look around we need fellowship with each other we need to know one another we need to be able to talk into each other's lives and challenge one another but sometimes, you know, we can be good at surface conversation, can't we? We can be good at those sort of, how are you doing? Oh, yes, I'm fine, Bring on the face sort of thing. But are we really that good at having in-depth conversation about where our faith in Jesus is up to? And I think this is where the challenge really comes. You know, the early church was not meeting just together to have platitudes with one another, but they were meeting to grow. They were meeting to feed off one another in the sense of learning and journeying with Jesus together. You know, some of the most profound things that have ever happened to me have not happened when I've listened to a sermon. They've not happened when I've read a book or listened to a podcast, but they've happened over a shared meal with other Christians where we've actually got down to talking about what our faith is about and actually growing and learning of one another and being open to being challenged by one another. I just want to ask you, when was the last time you had a really honest conversation with another Christian about your faith? Not about discussing some thorny issue, but about discussing your faith, your relationship with God, how you actually are. When was the last time you did that? Can I encourage you to do that? This is what the early church were doing. Whether it's on the phone, whether it's on Zoom, whether it's in a coffee shop, or however it needs to happen at the moment. Let's be people who are people of fellowship. The next thing we find is that these were a group of people devoted to prayer. Verse 46 Now the Greek word here that says, and the prayers, it means the liturgical prayers of the temple. What they were actually doing was carrying on with temple worship. This was a messianic Jewish community, and they continued following on with the Jewish patterns of daily worship in the temple courts. But for us, the church must always be a people of prayer. When we don't pray, when we don't gather in the name of Jesus to seek his will, not ours, but to seek his will we become less than what the Bible talks about. We become less than this kind of example of church here. Now, we already have lots of opportunities to pray, don't we, as a church. Join us on a Monday night. It might not be every Monday night, but if you're free, sometimes on a Monday night, 8 o'clock, we have a weekly prayer meeting in the lounge. We already mentioned the prayer breakfast next week. There are loads of other opportunities to pray in small groups, in prayer triplets and the like. But if you can cast your mind back just um two years ago, we had got into a pattern as a church of daily prayer in this building. One of the things we were very keen about when we referred the building was that this building would be a place that is physically, tangibly a house of prayer. A place where day after day the people of God gathered to pray together. Now we've lost that during the pandemic. Now, Chris and I were were chatting this week. Um I'm moderating at the moment for Bramwell Baptist, which is a church that's over in Stockport. Chris used to go there, and he was preaching there last week. And one thing they are doing, I hope they don't mind if anyone's watching. It is all positive, what I'm saying, so hopefully they won't mind. Um, They are gathering every day on Zoom for 15 minutes as a church to pray for 15 minutes at 8 o'clock in the morning, 8 to 8:15, And they're just gathering to pray. Whoever turns up, they know it's only going to be a short prayer meeting. It doesn't go on beyond that. And it's something that they have just built into their lives. You know, I think that's a real challenge for us. How are we going to build prayer back into our lives as a church? More of that in the weeks that are coming ahead. We're going to have a week of prayer very soon, and then we will see what we can do leading on from that. But prayer is never an optional extra for the church, both corporately but also individually. Look at what Jesus says in John 14. But when you pray, when you pray, not if you feel like praying, not if you happen to want to pray, but when you pray, part of Christian discipleship. Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father in heaven who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. We are called to be faithful in prayer as church. That is what being a faithful people is about. We now move on to two things in this passage that. Are perhaps, if we're really honest, a little less like us. These first three things we can perhaps deal with quite easily. But the next one, signs and wonders. You see, for the early church, to be faithful to what Jesus was doing just simply meant carrying on doing the things he was doing. As Jesus went around healing and preaching and teaching and delivering people from evil, so the early church continued to do the same things. Now, as Christians, it can be very easy to go to one or other extreme when we start to talk about signs and wonders. Now, one extreme is what we would call a cessationist viewpoint, which says that actually the signs and the wonders, well, yeah, they happened, but they were for the time of the apostles. And as the apostles and that generation died out, the signs and wonders stopped, and they don't have anything really to do with us. We we just carry on without them. I have a major problem with that view. Jesus never said that. The Bible never says that. Church history never gives witness to that. There is another view, which I think also runs the risk of going to an extreme, that sort of says we seek signs and wonders almost as a a means to their own end. That's sort of some kind of end game. Whereas actually what we find in the New Testament is signs and wonders give witness to the preaching of the gospel. They give witness to who Jesus is and to making Jesus known in different situations. This is what happens in the early church this is what happens as the book of acts unfolds these early christians they went around preaching christ crucified and they saw that the spirit backed it up with signs and wonders you see sometimes we can risk separating those things out sometimes we can fall into the trap of going out to one extreme or the other i think i've told this story before but thomas aquinas the the um, theologian and philosopher from the Middle Ages. There's a story about him. And he was talking to one of the popes in the Middle Ages, who were not the best bunch if you, if you read the history of them. And this pope was, was sat there counting money. And he was there, and the money was piling up, and there was more and more money on his table. And he said to, to Thomas Aquinas, Thomas, it's a long time since the church has said, silver and gold, have you not? To which apparently Aquinas turned around and said, but isn't it sad that we can no longer say, pick up your mat and walk. That the church had just abandoned the ministry of reaching out in love and compassion and expecting, not all the time, but expecting that God would show up in miraculous ways from time to time. Now, as the book of Acts continues, not everybody we don't see and we don't think is healed. Not every situation turns out to be a good one. You know, Paul is in prison. Peter is imprisoned, And if church history, if the the centuries afterwards, the sort of legends that carry on is to be believed, many of the the apostles are martyred. Not everything is going to be absolutely wonderful as a Christian. We will face trial and tribulation. But that does not mean that God doesn't desire to back up the ministry and the preaching of the word with events that point to his supernatural power. Do we come with expectation, as as Carol has already prayed, that God, according to his will, not according to ours, but according to his will, will do things that literally blow our minds? Do we have any sense of expectation that that is the God that we serve? Do we have any sense of expectation? So, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, to be faithful, to my mind, is simply to do what Jesus was doing. We keep praying. We keep seeking. We pray for faith where we are lacking. We seek the Lord. We, we pray when there are situations that we want and just long for God to intervene in. We do so knowing that we don't have all the answers to why God intervenes sometimes and doesn't in other times. We do so believing that God is good and that God is sovereign. Do we have any sense of expectation that actually this is part of our ministry today? I'm just going to leave that with you. We will come back to that question in a few weeks' time as we're going to be looking at what it means to be a Spirit-filled community because the church has always called to be led by the Spirit, to be empowered by the Spirit, to be gifted and equipped by the Holy Spirit. But let's ponder on that, and we will come back to it in a few weeks' time. The last thing that we find in this passage is about sharing. Verse 45, quite an eye-opener. If you're um, reading this for the first time, you might think this looks like some kind of communism. It isn't. It's nothing like that. Um, but actually, what it is, is it about um, having the common good at the forefront of the church's sort of ministry. You know, in our society, we're not averse to helping one another. But we sort of think, well, let's help myself first, and then we'll help other people from what is left. This inverts that and says, we're just all in it together. If somebody has a need, somebody else meets it if somebody has um, something that is lacking in their life that somebody else can fill, then that is what happens. And this is how this earliest church seemed to live. Now, this is not a blueprint. Um, Other churches existed in different ways, but what it does show is the kind of heart that this first Christian community had. A heart of generosity, a heart of sharing, a heart of deep fellowship with one another, where it really was the family of God. Do we have that sense of all-in family together? Do we have that sense that actually one part of the body needs support? We're all behind. We're there. We support one another. We care for one another. Finally, in verse 47, it says, they enjoyed the favor of all the people. What an amazing line. The favor of all the people. At this point... Those looking in on this early Christian community simply thought, wow, what is going on here? This is a community that is developing awe amongst other people. They are loving one another. They are sharing. They are so devoted. And they've got the favor of all the people. Now, like I said, this is not a blueprint for us to follow. This is just Luke drawing the curtain back on what happened. Storm clouds will be on the horizon very soon. Keep going in the book of Acts, and by Acts chapter 7, Stephen is the first martyr of the early church. The church will be scattered, life will never get back to exactly the same as what has happened here. But as we have a look at Acts chapter 2, we see some incredible things about how the church first started out. We see what it first meant to live as a spirit-filled community, following in the master's footsteps. And I think just that question, again, what steps can I take today? It may be just a little step today to say, actually, I am going to pray more. Actually, I am going to dig into God's word. I am going to pray with expectancy that God will do things when, when we pray and when we gather together. I am going to just try, bit by bit, to keep walking and following after Jesus. Let me pray for us. It may be that just, just in the quietness. You need to do business with God in your own heart. And just commit to God to take one small step today, closer To following Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we're amazed by what happened in the life of the early church. And Lord, sometimes when we look at our church communities today, they can seem so distant from Acts chapter 2. Lord, we know there are so many reasons for that, and you understand them all. But Lord, I want to just pray that we will do the things that we saw you doing as church. We will be committed to the gospel ministry, committed to preaching you crucified, risen and ascended. And Lord, as we've already prayed this morning, just give us a sense of expectation that even in these difficult days, you will be at work in incredible ways. maybe just in the quiet, that, that you need to just commit to God to doing one of those things we've talked about today. One small step to step forward in the master's footprints. So I'm just going to leave just a moment of quiet. You, you may want to make your own prayer before, before God at the moment. Jesus says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Lord, help that to be true of us as individuals, as your church gathered. Until you return again, may we be a faithful people.